Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. David Cobb writes about college football and basketball for CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter on X at David W. Cobb. Cobb, I want to get to the Tennessee story in just a moment. We get the news that Mark has indeed officially announced his retirement. The Grizzlies are indeed going to retire his jersey. I was kind of mulling it over before the show. Obviously, Jaw's going to have a ton to say about it in the future. But at this point in time, is Marcus all the greatest living Grizzly? Wow. What a question. First of all, when you said Mark retired, at first I thought you were talking about... No, well, he's... Well, kind of. I mean, you know, he's 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 got three kids now. Which is insane, by the way. I just texted him. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. I didn't realize number three was here already. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, oh, well, anyway. I mean, in fairness... Uh, she, baby, she's healthy, great, everything, and Lindsay's great. But she was five weeks early, so it, you, you're not off on that. Okay, all right. I, I just wasn't ready yeah, yeah. for that, but uh, but anyway, uh, congrats to Mark Giannato. Congrats to Mark Gasol. Mm-hmm. Uh, great day for the Mark, the Mark G's. Yep. Uh, including, yeah, I was reflecting on the Gasol thing earlier too because I was on the beat uh, when he was traded, and I remember the day it came out, probably via Shams or Woj or something that they were actively shopping Conley and Gasol. And I got the video after practice of Gasol saying my relationship um, with the Grizzlies might change, but my relationship with the city of Memphis never will. And he was on the brink of tears. And it was one of those most, it was one of the most poignant moments of my time on the beat, which I'm not like I was, I'm not Ron Tillery. I wasn't there forever, you know, but uh, still it's one of those moments that always sticks out to me. Uh, So I think, I think it's the core four. I don't know that you put elevate any one player above the collective group. The, the core four is what I will forever associate with that era of Grizzlies basketball. Marcus Gasol was a huge part of that. There's no denying that. If you want to try and rank the core four, have at it. But to me, it's always going to be that group. And, uh, you know, their, 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 na- their names and their numbers will all be retired and, and remembered together. And I yep. think that's the way it should be. No, it is. I mean, you're – for this premise of it, I gave him the nod because he's still the only player to be first-team All-NBA. He's the only player to go to three All-Star games, and he's the only player that's appeared on multiple All-NBA teams. So kind of like – and then when you rack up the, the stats, I mean, obviously because of the amount of games played, he's going to be up there. But, I mean, he was he was up, even up there in assists. Like he's the third – I think he's – let's see. Third – beg your pardon – Third in steals, second in assists in franchise history. Wow! Yeah, what a legacy! It's awesome. I can't wait for that for that ceremony for that day. 
uh, when they do retire his jersey. And uh, it's, it's, it's special. It's, it's cool, too, Mark's story because of the law of the hand factor. I was going to say, do you remember? Because I, I remember I was in eighth grade, and when it was Law's and game, like that was a must-see event. Fat Mark is still the best, Mark. When he would just <laughs> cherry-pick on one end of the floor, it was awesome. Uh, I remember uh, playing a JV game at, at Lausanne and being in the just being in that gym and being like, "Holy smokes, this is where Marcus Saul." Yeah, I know. It's cool. like it's like yeah, and it's 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 such a small gym too. It's like literally, you know, one of the one of the greatest players in Grizzlies history. Like this is where he played basketball. Right. So weird. And he was a throw-in in that trade, and that that's such a crazy dynamic too. That he was in the trade with his brother that everybody tore the Grizzlies apart for. That was regarded as this awful trade. What are the Grizzlies doing? And then Marcus Gasol turned out to be uh, arguably the greatest player in franchise history, you know, uh, cementing the Grizzlies' identity in the city of Memphis. And so the fact that he was kind of one of our own, uh, too, it, it does it does kind of set him apart in a way. Um, and, and I like that each individual player has their own their own night in, in the forum, right? To have their dreams sure. retired. Uh, but in the end, to me, it, it's it's the four, it's the collective unit, the group, and and of that, Marcus was certainly a, a massive part. Yeah, the the front office, Chris Wallace loves to point out. Well, we believed in Marcus Saul. They believed yeah. in him enough to take Hashim Thabit. If they would have believed in him enough, they wouldn't have drafted Thabit. You know what I mean? Like that. And then that's then an you can point. then you can always yeah. do the what ifs there. Well, and and you know, then there was the the. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't they draft uh, Kyle Lowry after Mike Conley? Um, no, Kyle was first, then Conley. Okay. Well, they you know, both those guys but had remember, to beat out. They had the, players, you know? they had the weird thing where Ivoroni wouldn't play Conley. Was it home games or road games? I can't, I can't remember. He wouldn't play. I think it was road games maybe he wouldn't play him. It was just bizarre. Like, it was, it, that is like the fact that the fact that some of those like dysfunctional messes could lead to one of the best runs that we've seen, it's like, it's still unbelievable to think about. Yeah. The fact that they also were able to bring in Tony Allen and Zach yeah. Randolph and make them such a integral part of all of that. When neither one of those guys had the best reputation, but Tony Allen had the best years of his career in Memphis. And then Zach Randolph was unbelievable. I mean, to me, uh, each one of those guys contributed such a unique, something so unique. Yeah. They were all such different players. Tony being that perimeter stopper, that, he kind of embodied Memphis uh, as much as any of them. And then Zach uh, with the Memphis embracing him and saying, Hey, well, you know what? We know the rest of the league is kind of done with you, but like we want you here and then we're going to embrace you and love you. And then he ends up loving them back and giving back so much to the city. Um, I'll just never forget the way he carried the team in that, that series uh, against the Spurs when they broke through um, and upset San Antonio uh, when they were, you know, sort of at their peak and, um, yeah, it's. You know, I hate the way it ended uh, with Mark and Mike, and that that trade was tough. But I love the fact that w- the Memphis Grizzlies treated the two of them with such class, because like you see it around the league a lot of times, like in Golden State when they traded Andre Iguodala, and he didn't want to suit up for Memphis. Well, fact is, Golden State traded him to Memphis. Yes. They traded him to a quote unquote rebuilding team, right? Um, Memphis didn't do that with Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. They traded Marcus Gasol to a team that went on to win the NBA uh, championship. And then they traded Mike Conley to a place where he's, he's uh, been able to really kind of flourish over the final seasons of his career. So, um, And while Utah I, I, didn't win a title, they were first in the West. You know what I mean? They were the number one seed. 
Yeah, absolutely. And they gave Mike full opportunity to reclaim his value because if I, if I recall, he was coming off of an Achilles injury, uh, you know, north of 30, right? And yeah. that's not a guarantee that you, you're going to get it back. And they let him show that he still had it, and they, they got Max value or, or, or as much as they could for him at the time. And so, yeah, it's uh, kind of wild, like, uh, just just kind of seeing – I guess Mike's the only one left in the league now, you know, and that's uh, – I don't know. It's, it's kind of surreal. I still think overall, like, my favorite rivalry is still the Clippers rivalry during that <laughs> during that run. Like, you know, the A.O. Blake, S. My D. Like, that's the other thing about Zebo. It's like just when Blake was pretty boy of the league, like, just Randolph never taking anything. Like, I just – those are just some of my absolute favorites. Oh, yeah. Dude, I think I'm still mad about the things T.J. Simers wrote, you know. Uh, it, for me, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, growing up, Oh man, I couldn't wait to get out of Memphis, right? Like uh, I thought Memphis had a monopoly on the world's problems, and, and I love the Grizzlies, but I couldn't wait to go somewhere else. But then you go somewhere else, and, and you see your city get attacked uh, by a columnist in LA, and it, and it changes your a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it changed your, your your viewpoint a little bit when you got when you got uh, people like that coming in on your city, and uh, you know. So anyway, to come back and be able to cover. Uh, the end of that era, man, that, that was that was really cool for me. And, and then obviously the beginning of a new era too with, with Ja. Um, so, uh, man, just a, kind of a crazy, crazy time. Um, you know, and now you, you look at where the Grizzlies are at now, and I love the way they're fighting, man. Like, without all these players who have been injured, obviously without Ja, but with Bain. They had to Smart. bring up Matthew Hurt just to be able to play the game on Monday. I know it. You know, Scotty Pippen Jr. I mean, come on, right? Like this is this is wild. Like, uh, but they're 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 still fighting, and they're still. I think they're embodying the city as much right now as they have in a long time by just being gritty. <laughs> I know I know that, that that's not the the official marketing slogan anymore, grit and grind. But uh, they're they're sure playing uh, with some grit and grind right now. We're talking with David Cobb of CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter on X at David W Cobb. Okay, you've written about. You've written about the Tennessee investigation. So here's, I guess, where I want to start. What the heck are they investigating? Because the thing that was so fascinating to me is I know sometimes NCAA investigations, they'll leak to exactly who they leaked to yesterday, but then they're kind of light on details after that. But what stands out to me is collectively anyone that covers the sports, like, I, I don't know what we're doing here. And so, can you paint a picture of what is actually being investigated? Well, I think what happened is, over the last couple of years, you heard administrators and coaches, a lot of coaches, begging for this term, guardrail. They wanted guardrails around NIL, and they wanted some level of enforcement over pay-for-play. And so, the NCAA is beholden to its members, which are the universities, uh, and they said, okay, well, if y'all want enforcement and guardrails around NIL, well, okay, here you go. And now, Tennessee's the most high-profile case. It centers around Nico Yamaliava and the $8 million that he's getting, and, and so that's a big headline. But Florida and Florida State have been caught up in this, too, in recent weeks. Yeah. So Florida State just got hit with some relatively significant by the NCAA standards types of penalties. And then now uh, Florida's under investigation for its recruitment of uh, Jaden Rashada with the NIL stuff. So uh, Tennessee is just kind of the most high-profile case, and they are more at risk uh, than a lot of other schools would be because it was only six months ago that they settled a case that involved 18 level one infractions. 
So they're on a five-year probation because of that. So if you're Tennessee, that's really the only thing that you're afraid of because uh, you're, you're, when you're on probation, um, you're liable to be hit with stiffer penalties. But at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee's going to fight this. It's just funny. We're going in a circle here where the schools are begging for the NCAA to enforce its rules, and then any time a school gets hit with that enforcement, they threaten to take the NCAA to court. Uh, so it's like, what, what are we doing here? It, it's pretty ridiculous, and, and Tennessee's made it clear they're going to fight this quite aggressively here. So we get the news that the attorney general is going to bring a lawsuit against the NCAA. I believe also the state of Virginia is joining Tennessee in this lawsuit. Some of it is posturing, although I thought it was very specific. So they sent out a press release. So that's how you knew that they wanted it out there. I don't know if you got it, but it came into our inboxes. The very first thing that I took note of was they're suing... Basically, they're suing for antitrust reasons. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I took note of that is I don't know how public it became, but I always know amongst athletic director circles, when Tez Walker for North Carolina was, when they couldn't get him eligible, the state of North Carolina with the attorney general threatened legal action. And it was on, on these grounds. So I did take note of that as... Because Tennessee's very much come out acting as if they're fighting this, and good for them. But I did wonder, it's like, okay, is that is that the threat? Because typically when the NCAA starts hearing that type of legislation or that type of court decision, they don't want any part of it. That's right. Yeah, you look at the case in West Virginia uh, that has now set the precedent for two-time transfers. Uh, that's the latest prominent example of the NCAA losing in court, and that's, I'm sure, what has emboldened Tennessee here to uh, sue the NCAA because that, that case with Raekwon Battle, the West Virginia basketball player, he was trying to get eligible as a, as a two-time transfer. Uh, the uh, NCAA was taken to court by a collection of states, which is what we're seeing here. Uh, it's not just the, the, the state of Tennessee. It's also Virginia uh, suing, and the NCAA has so, so far, to this point, lost in that case uh, involving the West Virginia kid, and because of that loss, all these two-time basketball players around the country are now eligible. Brandon Murray down at Ole Miss is a key example of a, a local area product of somebody who's, who's benefited from, from the NCAA's recent loss in court there. And so now Tennessee comes after the NCAA for uh, antitrust stuff. Uh, the NCAA is either going to have to back off or they're going to have to risk taking another loss in court. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of athletic departments around the country that are kind of hoping Tennessee just wins this and that the NCAA continues to sort of fade into oblivion here um, because it's all going to a place where the athletes are going to be employees. And we're going to look back at something like this in a few years and be like, wow, remember when the NCAA threatened to uh, cut Tennessee off at the kneecap because of uh, NIL inducements? Like, wow, that was crazy, you know, because in just a few years' time, in all likelihood, all signs point to, you know, the the athletes having collective bargaining uh, rights and being able to kind of have the benefits and the protections of uh, employees. You may not know the answer to this because I don't know if anyone does, but what I've really struggled with is, okay, we can understand the NCAA's trying to regain some power. As you said, you know, there's this movement to put guardrails and whatnot, so they want to flex their muscles. You also have a new president. That oftentimes can lead to an invigorated staff. I still don't understand what are they trying to get Tennessee on. In, In the end, like... Like, even when I think about with Florida, Jaden Rashada didn't play at Florida. He went to Arizona mm-hmm. State. 
And my question is, is like, what is it that Tennessee has or hasn't done that has opened them up to be the subject of an investigation when we look around the country? I mean, you know, when when you look at all of like, you know, why I get I'm not to piss off Ole Miss fans, but like, why pick Tennessee over Ole Miss when Ole Miss is clearly having a ton of NIL success? Well, I think they can make a, a statement or a point with Tennessee because you could argue that the $8 million price tag that's long been associated with Nico Iamaliava, the, the quarterback who's going to be Tennessee's star next season, like that, you could argue he is the most high-profile beneficiary of NIL in this era that, that we that we know about. I'm not saying nobody else has made that money or that no other school has. has I, I can tell you money. there's a quarterback at Texas that has made more, but <laughs> I will give you – I will give them this – the official numbers never really gotten out. Right. And with Tennessee, that, that number has always been affixed to Nico, uh, for better or for worse. And, and I think that makes them an easy target. But here's the thing. Is there a paper trail? That's, that's what it comes down to. They need a smoking gun, either in the form of an email or a text message that uh, suggests it was an inducement for Nico. And if those conversations happened over the phone or if they happened in person, uh, then there's really going to be no way for the NCAA to prove its case. Uh, so as long as Tennessee was buttoned up in the way they approached it uh, and, and wasn't dumb and didn't leave a paper trail, then I don't know what I don't know what the NCAA is going to find here. Uh, but they're probably trying to make an example out of Tennessee just because of how prominent uh, that Nico dollar figure has been now for a couple of years. Do you think anything comes to this? Because, no, like, I guess really at a mean. certain point I do have to say, like, they did give Florida State a penalty. Yeah, I think the court battle uh, makes it interesting, and I think it probably puts the NCAA on its heels. I mean, Florida State probably didn't want to risk drawn out uh, litigation because they're trying to they're, they're paying all their lawyers to find a way out of the uh, ACC grand right at the moment. They, yeah, they didn't, they didn't want to have they didn't want to fight a war on two fronts. Yeah, they probably didn't have the billable hours to go around mm. uh, to, to do war with the NCAA as well. Uh, so Tennessee's going to do war with the NCAA. Uh, they they kind of don't have a choice because of the uh, the previous case because they're on probation. If they just sit down and take it, the punishment might be rather harsh. Uh, and so they're not going to sit down and take it, and uh, they're going to be forceful with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, the NCAA has been so unsuccessful at lobbying Congress for these NIL uh, antitrust exemptions that I'm not sure they're going to have a leg to stand on when they get into a courtroom and a judge sees some of the conflicting guidance that the NCAA has given over the last few years. And they see now the NCAA president himself, Charlie Baker, proposing a revenue-sharing model. I think, I think it feels uh, hypocritical, perhaps, for the NCAA to uh, be trying to, to police what, what, a, what an athlete can make and, and you know, when those conversations are had. Well, Cobb, remember, they're not proposals. They're just, uh, what do you call it, a, a conversation starter? Mm, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, trying to start the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not start a dialogue. <laughs> yeah, he inherited a mess, but like uh, he's he's fighting an uphill battle here, and uh, I don't think he has a whole lot of hope. Are they tipping? Is the NCAA tipping its hand and saying that like you know? I mean, they're the, to me like they're just a they're a wounded animal and they're lashing out as they're bleeding out. Like, <laughs> but like at a certain point, like I do sit there and go, well, I mean. I am waiting for some school to sit there and go when they get their when they get their punishment. N- no, I thought Florida State might do it, but then Florida State was just like whatever, and they just kind of made a little bit of hissy fit and moved on. But like, I do wonder if this is expediting 
exactly what we're talking about, which is like just doing away with the NCAA and starting their own thing. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that could. That's where we're headed. It's just a matter of when and what it looks like. Uh, but you, you know, you're seeing those those fissures develop already. I mean, you, a couple of things. One, obviously, the college football playoff runs college football's postseason, so you don't necessarily need the NCAA. Uh, for college football purposes, and that's the, the money-making engine of it all. And then you've also got the, the collective association. I mean, Tennessee's fire group, their collective, it's part of a group of like 30 or more collectives that are sort of banding together to establish this other sort of power structure that's uh, trying to push the sport forward with some of the compensation stuff. And so uh, there, there are a lot of other entities other than the NCAA now that have power in college sports. And a case like this is going to do nothing to change that. It's only going to uh, make it worse. It's only going to uh, encourage schools like Tennessee to to look more forcefully into breaking away. And, you know, there's a lot of unintended potential consequences of that. I mean, if we get to a point where the NCAA is obsolete and hypothetically they're not running the postseason basketball tournament, um, I'm, I'm afraid these conferences are just going to have their own tournament and that the uh, – the mid and low majors get squeezed out, and like there could be there could be a lot of ramifications of all this. But uh, you know, I don't think the NCAA is necessarily helping its case uh, with what it's doing because the things that it's good at are are hosting postseason tournaments and uh, you know things like that. But uh, they're not going to be in a position to do that if they continue to try to fight lo- these losing battles. What do you think Greg Sankey's thinking right now? <laughs> oh man, uh, who knows? That guy's mind is uh, he's always. Kind of like two steps ahead to a certain degree. He's probably he's probably looking into some European soccer model, like trying to figure out how to. Yeah, he's like reading. That he's to, reading uh, another book on the EPL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he, he's probably got an eye on Florida State too, uh, saying, "Hey, are you guys going to get out of that grant of rights? Are we interested in you guys?" Uh, yeah, uh, you know, he's been kind of silent uh, as of late, right? He's he, he's back in the back room, sort of cooking something up. I don't know, but uh, you hadn't heard him weigh in uh, a whole lot on, on on the big picture stuff recently. All right, before we let you go, let's turn our attention to college basketball. We'll close with the Tigers, but before we do that, so I'm getting back in, and by that I mean I'm gambling pretty much every time there's a game on. From what I have seen, I will have a tough time believing at this point in time anyone other than Houston or UConn wins this thing. Really? Okay. You you have no faith in Purdue then, huh? uh, Water is wet. Okay, here's my thing with Purdue. I'm going to put them in the title contender group, and here's why. The supporting cast around Zach Eady is demonstrably better than it was last season. And I'm not saying that they're totally impervious to, like, a first weekend upset. Anything can happen in March Madness. But their three-point shooting as a team is so much better than it was a season ago. And they lost to FDU because they couldn't hit a shot. Well, now they're hitting shots, so that makes Purdue kind of scary. Um, so I think they're in that title contending group, but it's those three. Those three are at the top of college basketball right now, and then there's a pretty big drop-off because everybody else who's, who's in that conversation keeps losing, uh, and, and then Houston, Purdue, and UConn don't. Uh, so those are my three uh, clear-cut national title contenders at the moment. Yeah, and honestly, like I'm at the point now where it's like I, I acknowledge what Houston has done and how good they are. But man, every time I watch UConn play, I'm just like, I'm I'm going to ride with these guys again. Like, yeah, they're they're a machine right now, and and they're finally healthy fully. 
for the first time. Um, they've got Donovan Klingon back after he had a lot of foot issues early this season. And then their five-star freshman, Stephon Castle, you know, starting to really get in the rhythm. Now you got the two of them together, healthy for the first time over these last few weeks. The results have been really, really incredible. So, I mean, I, I definitely think it's on the table uh, for them to, to go back-to-back, which would be, you know, the first time that's happened since, since uh, the, the Billy Donovan Florida team did it 15 years ago. So we could have back-to-back. The Chiefs could win back-to-back. And we could have NCAA. Uh, I feel like those are the two long, long standing. We haven't had back to back, so that that that'd be fitting. But then now, now that I've now that I've planted my flag for UConn, watch them lose like seven of eight. So that that'll be on me. All right, here's my question for the Tigers because this is this is something that I'm more paying attention to than I feel like a lot of the conversation is locally right now because everyone's just focused on they've lost three straight. And to be clear, they haven't looked good doing it. My bigger deal right now is if you look at the if you look at the conference standings what does Memphis have to do? They've got 11 games left. But like I'm sitting there going even if they go 8 and 3, it's possible that they still finish 5th in the league. And on the one hand it's like okay, I think the resume would be fine, but I don't know how they would handle a team that finishes 5th in the American in that scenario. So I'm starting to like think the big question I have is what do they have to do in these final 11 games? Because that's where it starts to get murky for me. Yeah. I mean, I still think they're on about a, a seed and a half bump per loss. I mean, that's kind of the trajectory they're on. And if they're in the eight, nine game right now, then we've only got a couple of losses yeah. left, you know, and you could lose to FAU and it wouldn't bump you a seed and a half. Um, but most of the other losses. Probably SMU's. That this, if you lose at SMU, SMU's nets in the 30s. You know what I mean? Like, it may not bump you. But the problem then you get into is like, well, SMU could pass you in the standings. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't think that committee's going to be too worried about the AAC standings. And, and Memphis's non conference resume stands apart. It sets it apart from the rest of the league, even though some of the teams Memphis beat in November and December have, haven't had great seasons. Uh, there's still a lot of quad one and quad two stuff in there. That's going to help them a ton. Um, and then you got to—it's going to be a situation where you got to handle FAU at least once at, at the end of it. That's that's what this is headed towards, and, and it could all change tonight for the worse. I mean, if Memphis loses to Rice, I think the conversation totally shifts from what does Memphis have to do get, to get to the NCAA tournament to like is the program imploding in front of our eyes. I mean, um, it's it's the because Mark was like, well. We haven't seen this kind of collapse, and I was like, "Buddy, the Wiseman year." Like, I, I know there's a lot of like caveats and whatnot, but it's like after they beat Tennessee, they were a top ten team, and I know the tournament got canceled, but they were not in the tournament when the season got canceled. Like, we'd be talking about two of those types of collapses in what four years? Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Would be a disaster. I mean, I don't, I don't see it, right? Of course, I didn't see him blowing an 18-point lead at home to South Florida either. 20. Happened, so. 20. So, yeah, Rice, Wichita State, you get back on track this week, then I, I feel more confident sort of having that discussion uh, about the NCAA tournament and whatnot. But right now, I just need to see them play two halves of decent defense. That's the biggest issue for me is, like, you know, I think all the coaching staff turnover and all the roster turnover has led to a, led Memphis to a place where the defensive identity that they had for so long is no longer a part of the, the DNA of the, of the program because – the people who built that, there's not really a whole lot of them left. I mean, you got Malcolm, you got Jaden, and you got Penny, and then most of the staff and most of the roster has been a revolving door. So, like, we just assumed Memphis was going to keep playing elite defense, but 
there weren't a whole lot of culture carriers around maybe this year to uh, to kind of instill that. So that that's the issue that I see now, and they they got to play. Uh, they need to play four halves of really good defense this week for me to really feel confident saying without a doubt, you know, this team is still headed to the dance. Yeah, it's holding Munns. I did a hand up. When they lost Caleb Mills, I, like, it was the obvious. Sure, you would rather have them have him than not. I did not think losing him was going to crater their defense mm-hmm. as it has, and it, it clearly has. Yeah, I think Jalen Young should maybe play a little more. If you go and look at the advanced metrics, he's, he he, he's, really, a, he's a chaos creator. Yeah, he writes as a really good defender for them in the advanced metrics. And I know he doesn't bring a ton offensively, but you, you need somebody out there to be a pest and to get into get into the opposing team defensively. And I think Memphis would maybe benefit from slowing it down just a little bit sometimes. That UAB game felt so frenetic in the second half. And you know, maybe Memphis should, should use a little more clock, get their defense set, um, and maybe that gives them a chance when it feels like things are snowballing a little bit. Kyle, we really appreciate it, buddy. Man, thank you. David Cobb of CBS Sports. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.